Hello, you're welcome to If I Were the Minister for Education from Onshaw.net. Lessons from Finland, Part 2. In last week's part of my exploration of the Finnish education system, I talked about my trip to a school in Finland and started to explain why I think the Finns have one of the best education systems in the world. I spoke about how much they spend outside learning, even in several feet of snow. However, this wasn't the deal breaker, and in this part, I'm going to delve further into the system and let you know what I would do if I were the Minister for Education. Hello, hello, or given uh, the subject of this podcast, I should say, hey, hey, this is Simon Lewis from Onshaw.net with If I Were the Minister for Education, a weekly podcast where I look at the world of primary education and wonder what I would do if I were the Minister for Education. You can subscribe to this podcast on any of your favourite podcasting apps, and please tell your teacher friends or anyone else you think who might be interested in primary education to have a look. And if you've enjoyed this episode or any others, please leave a review. In the last part of this episode, I said it probably was no surprise that Finnish class sizes were very small and many of us in Ireland would simply say this was the reason for their better performance in league tables when it comes to PISA and all those things. I'm also going to go through a few other possible myths before I go and make some suggestions myself. But first though, I'm going to make a bit of a leap, okay? I don't know, sometimes... Sometimes it's okay to make a leap and, you know, based on based on opinion. And I'm going to do that um, because I can't base it on any academic research. However, I don't really think it's much of a leap, to be honest. And common sense is often an underrated measurement of success. And for me, class size isn't the main variable of why the Finnish education system is one of the best in the world. And... I'm not saying class size isn't a variable, because of course it helps. A smaller class size obviously helps. But but the thing is, it isn't the main thing. And I'll prove it to you. If class size was the biggest success of an education system, then Luxembourg would top the PISA tests, the, the PISA lists, because their average is 15 children per class, which is the lowest in the OECD. And yet, Luxembourg performs below average. And equally, China and Singapore have very large class sizes, and they now top the PISA scores. Now, while Finland is no longer number one, it's still top ten in all areas. And funnily enough, their neighbours, Estonia, have now become the new Finland. But I was very curious to find out, what do they do in Finland that made them stand out from the crowd if it wasn't class size? I've heard criticism about the Finnish education system, usually from Swedish people actually for some reason, that the reason is that Finland, Finland's success basically is because it's less multicultural. One person said to me, a Swedish person said, we have 20% migrants, Finland only has 2%, which was probably rooted in xenophobia, if not in accuracy. As I said before, 
Finland has very similar demographics to Ireland, with 86% of Finnish people claiming to be Finnish and 83% of Irish people claiming to be Irish. And while it isn't at Swedish levels, it certainly isn't the homogenous country people think it is. The school I visited was what Irish people would call a country school, and diversity was clearly evident there. A quick glance at the classes walking around the city centre in Helsinki demonstrated a highly multicultural cohort of students. To me, it was a lazy argument anyway, because being a migrant doesn't actually mean educational systems automatically go down. In fact, it sounds a little bit racist to me. I asked the principal of the school because, to be fair, He's working in the system, and he isn't a government minister who is going to be putting up a glossy advertisement on it. And I liked his answer. He sort of chuckled in a way that people do when eye-rolling, you know, and then he, you know, did those air quotations when he mentioned the Finnish miracle, and basically said, there is no miracle at all, really. According to him, there are actually two main reasons. The first I spoke about in the first part of this episode, there's no private schools. And the second is that there is an ethos in Finland that they bring everyone up to a certain standard. Because of their social democratic structure, almost everyone in Finland has a certain standard of living. This means that crime is very low and Finland is considered one of the safest countries in the world as a result. And when it comes to education, their theory is simple. Put whatever supports are needed to bring bring any students to a particular standard. In other words, rise everyone up. Whatever those supports are, they are put in. So let's investigate this more and then compare that to what we do in Ireland. Let's start off with the private schools, because I've spoken about this before. Now, you might say that's the same as Ireland. And in some ways, you'd be right. But in another way, well, you'd be completely wrong. The Irish education system, as you'll know from listening to this podcast, is complicated. I I often describe it like those Christmas decorations in the attic, all knotted. And when you try and get one knot out, a whole load of other knots appear. And unfortunately, there's just this one big knot in the system, and it's centred on the fact that whatever way we look at the Irish education system, we have this neoliberal model, um, a free market, as it, were, as it were. And what I mean when I say this is that any parent can technically choose whatever school they want to send their child to, and they have a range of options. For example, they can send them to their nearest school, like normal person, like a normal person would. They could send it to send them to a school further up the road, maybe skip their local school, to a school maybe that matches their religious beliefs. Maybe they can send them to a school where they can learn in the medium of the Irish language, and so on and so forth. Now the reality is that unless you are Catholic in Ireland, you don't really have much choice since almost every school in Ireland is under Catholic control. So what I'm going to do for the purposes of this argument, okay, is pretend 
that everybody is Catholic in Ireland, okay? Um, I, I, much, much like some people would like to believe. <laughs> but anyway, for the purpose of this argument, let's look at this um, argument from the perspective of a middle-class Irish Catholic per her person versus anyone living in Finland. Anyone at all. So it's basically, if you're middle-class, Irish, white probably, and Catholic, against anyone living in, in Finland. So in Finland, a child goes to their local school. That is it. That's it. And I mean, okay, okay. They can go to their, they can go to a non-local school if their family applies under a very, very exceptional circumstances. But in general, most Finnish kids go to their local school. Now, one exception to this is something that's quite similar in Ireland. Though less than 5% of Finnish people proclaim to be Swedish speakers, and that figure of 5% is similar enough to Gaelic speakers in Ireland, which is about 3.5%, there are therefore Swedish language schools in Finland. Um, there's a site, uh, which I'm probably going to butcher the sound of, it's called Svensk Finland, says, and this is quoting them here, when a, child in Finland, when a child is born in Finland, the parents can choose for themselves which language is officially registered as a child's mother tongue. Bilingual families often register children as Swedish-speaking and then later put them in Swedish-language schools. The reason for this is partially strategic and the choice is made to strengthen the child's future learning sk language skills. It's an interesting um, kind of sentence. It's very much admitting what we don't admit in Ireland. And interesting, they do have league tables in Finland, which is something I didn't know about. And they measure the top performing schools in terms of the results. And I don't think it's a coincidence that seven out of the top 10 schools in Finland happen to be Swedish speaking. And I'll give the link to that in the show notes. I wonder, does that sound familiar to you? In, in some ways, I was a little bit gratified to see it because at least the Finns admit that some families are using this Swedish school model to game the education system. Now, and obviously I'd never make, never in a million years, make that same allegation in Ireland. Not a chance of would I do that. That would be a ridiculous thing to say. I mean, because every single person that sends their child to a Gwail school is a passionate advocate for the Irish language and the thought would never ever ever cross their minds to ensure that their child is in a school with only the right type of child. <laughs> oh my goodness. Anyway, I'm digressing here a bit because in general, in Finland, this is a very small anomaly and in Ireland it's probably more or less the same where many families game the system under the minority spoken language. In general, Finns go to their local school. Taking religion out of it, as I said I would, focusing on Middle Ireland, who don't give a toss about religion in schools, they still like to have that choice, don't they? They love a choice. Sure, isn't that what you hear on the radio all the time when I'm giving out about uh, about the lack of, uh, you know, the patronage structure and all the rest of it? So, oh, well, what we need there is choice, Simon. Choice. Isn't that what we want? Middle-class Irish people, they want choice. And many families will leave their house and drive past not only one local school, they'll, move, they'll drive past several schools. So their child goes to the right, inverted commas, school for their child. 
Now, I've had some people argue with me that having school choice is really important because sometimes, do you know, Simon, sometimes a child mightn't be sporty and the local school is very sporty. So it's good to be able to send their child to a school that isn't sporty. Or I hear such and such a school is great for the special needs or behavior or whatever. There's the parents who want their child going to a small, you know, a lovely small school. They like a small school. The parents who want to drive out to the suburbs because they want a mixed school and so on. And strangely enough, these schools tend to have very little diversity. But I'm digressing again, aren't I? I am. I am. Either way, schools in Finland aren't identical by any means either. Now, admittedly, they don't have the same ridiculous gender-segregated system that we have, and I can almost accept the gender argument that some parents have who drive their children to another school further away because it's mixed rather than single-sex, even if I don't really believe them a little bit. But my point is that almost every school in Ireland, at least from a Catholic point of view, is more or less the same. The same teachers, the same buildings, the same facilities, the same money, and so on. By allowing families to choose whatever school they want, they create this free market neoliberal system which makes schools compete against each other. Every child becomes an economic unit, 183 euro, you know, to give you the figure, which may be out of date in the next while, because it might go up at some point. But anyway, right now, 2022, it's 183 euro per child per year in terms of a capitation grant. For schools and parents can also game the system to give their child more of an advantage if they know what they are doing. In effect, this makes Irish primary schools a weird kind of hybrid of a private and public system rather than a completely public system. And with many schools in Finland considered small schools, much like Ireland, the same arguments are made about what schools survive and which schools don't. And I, I'll give you a, a, an article about that, actually, because in Ireland we talk about saving small schools at any cost. And, and in Finland they don't have that. So let's, let's compare this, because small schools is a big thing. And people will say, oh, well, look, we have loads and loads of small schools. In Finland, they also have loads and loads of small schools. In Ireland, we have this mad situation where a school will not close, even if there's one child, only one child enrolled. Now, the smallest school in Finland has six pupils, six pupils. And it's on a very, very small island with only 40 people living on it. Now, I don't know exactly when a Finnish school has to close, but the decision seems to be less focused on politics. The municipality seems to decide on that. Now, I might be wrong on this, but anything I've read suggests that local people have very little power in terms of when a school is decided to close or not. And while that might sound like a good thing, if we really, really think about it, Having dozens of schools with fewer than 10 pupils in each one isn't actually a good thing. We're in a very 
I suppose we're in a much smaller sized country than Finland. Finland is massive. We're a small country. And there are countless, in, in Ireland anyway, there's countless examples of, of areas in Ireland where there are five or six tiny schools within a tiny radius of maybe 10 kilometers. Economically, but more importantly, educationally, it makes more sense to have one reasonably sized school in an area rather than six tiny schools within a 10 kilometer radius. And perhaps that's another difference between Ireland and Finland when it comes to small schools. Ours are more tightly packed together rather than Finland where they're far apart. And again, this comes down to the, that phenomenon of school choice and pits these little schools against each other. And if you're a principal, you will either have experienced or know of a principal who has spoken about a time a family left his or her school to go to another school and lost a teacher as a result. That's how fine the margins are over here because we are all technically private entities Having school choice exacerbates this problem, and it actually makes everything worse. Anyway, from small schools to urban areas and suburban areas, the concept of free choice allows for what's known as white flight, where white middle-class people leave a particular local school and drive to the nearest village to avoid multiculturalism, special education, and certain ethnic groups. And we see this in almost every town in Ireland. The school in the centre of town is having falling numbers, and the village school about five kilometres outside the town with more pupils in it than the actual population of the village. And I'm not going to give any examples, but you'll see it in every single town in Ireland. For a number of reasons, this is dreadful. And it has to be examined, even though it's not, and it's possibly too late to do very much about it, although it's not either. I find it shocking driving through a tiny village and seeing this giant school and nothing else. Essentially, this is, in line of, this is in the same line of thought around the Gwale Skull movement, but in this case, there isn't a way to circumvent it, or circumnavigate it in Finland. So what are the advantages of not having free choice, you might ask? Well, there's several. Again, taking religion out of the equation, if we don't have a free choice, we can plan for schools much more easily. If everybody goes to their local school, we will know the population of every area and we know how many children will be going to their local school and we know how many teachers they'll need. And on top of this, we can plan for other things such as special education. For example, if a child is in their local area, everyone knows what school they're going to be going to from birth and in the majority of cases, of course, so it's easy to plan for this in their local school. There's no delay on resources and on top of that, we have loads of other advantages. Uh, you know, for example, school transport is really easy. Now, obviously, there is the elephant in the room that I've managed to avoid because I keep saying the following phrase, if we take religion out of the equation. But if we bring it back into discussion, very briefly, simply put, we need to ensure that no school is influenced by a faith in Ireland. Now, Finland doesn't have schools where different religions permeate throughout the day. Faith formation in one faith does not encapsulate everything a school does. So to be as succinct as a Finnish person would be, we need to scrap religion in schools. And to be succinct again in what I'm trying to say, school choice is not a good thing. We need far less of it. 
Our neoliberal free market thinking about school is actually creating more problems than it is solving. In Finland, with the exception of those Swedish schools, not having these complications makes going to school much easier to plan for, thus allowing for the second part of the Finnish miracle, bringing everyone up to a certain level of equality. Now, this idea of rising everyone up is central to Finland's educational success. And before I get into it, there are a couple of issues with it from an ethical perspective, but in general, the model is undeniably brilliant. The school I visited was small enough one, with about 250-300 pupils. We met their large staff who were in the staff room, and one actually ran out of the room in case we spoke to her, but that's another story. The reason I'm telling you this is because the principal, when he was introducing us to their staff told us that his staff were very annoyed at the moment about the lack of resources they were receiving. They were very angry because because of the size of their school, they only had access to a nurse, social worker and psychologist on site for two days a week. I had previously told the principal that 99% of Irish schools have no nurse, no social worker and no psychologist on site ever. I told him that we get access to a psychologist if we're lucky, maybe for two to three days a year, and that's only very big schools. And as for social workers, well, they don't spend any days in school unless they're investigating an abuse case, which takes them about 30 minutes. And essentially, the principal was telling the staff there, don't forget how lucky you all are. I think I probably said the same thing at some point. But that was the thing. For me, having in-school psychology, social work, and nursing blew my mind. Not because I was thinking, wouldn't that be lovely to have in the school? But what was the impact of having these three people in any school? And what that would be when you think of the work that teachers do in Ireland today. I've often spoken about the changed role of the teacher in Ireland and where we're expected to be so many things, not just teachers. A nurse, psychologist and social worker are three of the things that Irish teachers are expected to be these days. School staff have to volunteer their time for free to become first aid responders. And then if there's an injury, they have to take time away from their own classes to tend to injured pupils. In any reasonably sized school, this can take a significant amount of one's day, which is not being used for teaching and learning. However, it's the other two that really made the difference. Imagine having an on-site psychologist and social worker in your school and the amount of time and energy this would take away from you so you could focus on your children's learning. An in-house psychologist could ensure that all supports that were necessary would be provided to children without kicking the tin down the road systems that we have in place. A social worker on site would offer family supports, again without the bureaucracy that we get over here. The wraparound services are not only essential, but they provide Finnish children with the help that they need when they need it. Right now in Ireland, it is very rare for the state psychology service to see a child until about fifth class. Social work only gets involved when children are in crisis, and it's not hard to think of the impact it would have on children and society 
if schools were equipped to look after uh, to look after the needs of children within the walls of their local school now while this is impossible in ireland because of the school choice problem if we removed that school choice problem it could revolutionize our education system i would argue that it would be so impactful that ireland would be top of every league table I'll say that again, if we were to remove school choice and add a psychologist, social worker and nurse to schools, we would be top of every school league table internationally. Strong words I know, but given we managed to get children so high up on the international tables with the lack of investment in education in Ireland, I believe this is the place that would propel us easily to the top. When a child needs support in Finland, they get it. They simply get it. It doesn't matter what kind of support it is, they get it. If a child needs a special needs assistant, they get it. If a child needs learning support, they get it. If a child needs a special school, they get it. If a child has a social issue and needs some input, they get it. If a child has an illness that needs medical support, yeah, they get it. And they get it in school. There is no need for an NCSE or a NEPS or any form of giant bureaucratic nonsensical organisation. There is no need for SNA allocations or SET allocations or appeals for allocations because children receive the supports they need to ensure they have access to their classroom. I mean, it sounds utopian, right? And in many ways it is. In fact, in most ways it is. However, there were a couple of issues which in some ways could be mirrored in Ireland. It's kind of how they deal with diversity. In Ireland, when it comes to diversity, we, I guess, we mess it up differently to Finland. And let's take two examples. Diversity when we talk about religion and diversity when it comes to language. And let's, let's, let's take them one by one. Finland and Ireland are very similar when it comes to religion, as I said before. Both countries were heavily dominated by a particular church until recently enough in all aspects of life. In Ireland, as we know, it was the Catholic Church, and in Finland, it was the Lutheran Church. And both churches have deeply conservative views on many, many things. However, both countries would probably claim to be living in a post-religious society. For example, in Ireland, we overwhelmingly voted in favour of same-sex marriage and abortion rights, and fewer the Fewer than 30% of Irish people attend Catholic Mass regularly and less than half of marriages these days take place in a church. Essentially, most Irish people really don't think about religion unless someone is dead or when they're sending their child to school. And it seems rather similar in Finland where the Lutheran religion has influence in Finnish schools. The Lutheran faith must be taught in primary schools. In Ireland, the Catholic faith must be taught in schools too. Uh, Catholic schools, obviously. However, what about those that don't practice their respective faith of, in the schools? So, for example, what does a Muslim do in a Finnish school or a Catholic school uh, in Ireland? Well, in Ireland, we pretend to do something called opting out, which is an entirely meaningless thing and essentially means that children are forced to sit at the back of classrooms every day colouring while being indoctrinated by osmosis. Um, they then end up being guests at their own class parties, 
the, that's the communion confirmation. And if any of them complain, they're told, stop being silly and just take part in it like all the other hypocrites. The knock-on effect is that 99.7% of Irish teachers are white and Irish, and we have no diversity in the profession. Finland does things differently, and could be best described as, I suppose, what the CNS tried to do in Ireland. For those of you who don't know what the CNS is in Ireland, that's the Community National Schools. What the Finnish people do is what the, what the CNS used to do in Ireland. They run separate classes for different religions if there is enough demand, so children are segregated during the day on the basis of religion. And before you look down your nose at them, that's exactly what every multi-denominational patron body did in Ireland before they realised it was completely unethical. And even though it's not a good thing to do, it's miles better than how we treat children in denominational schools. However, before you jump to Ireland's defence claiming that, well, now, 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 so the reality on the ground is very different, it isn't. Finland beat Ireland in the competition of least racist system against diversity in that no matter what school you go to, there is no faith formation even in Lutheran classes. They learn about the teachings of Lutheranism, Lutheranism without actually praying. Now, it's not brilliant, but it's probably on par with state-run schools in the UK, which teach about many, many faiths and none, but always have to end on a Christian note. Is there anywhere in the world that has it right? You might ask yourself. Sure, everyone's got it wrong. Sure, you're always complaining, Simon, but where, does anybody have it right? Well, let's just stick to Ireland versus Finland. And in this case, in 96% of Ireland's school, Finland wins, just about. However, in 4% of schools in Ireland, Finland loses badly, very badly. And in case you're thinking that I was dodging the question about what country gets religion right, I would actually say we do in Ireland, but only in two types of schools, Educate Together and Community National Schools. And while some of you might say I'm biased because I work in an Educate Together school and I'm, a, and I'm an advocate for multi-denominational education, I'm genuinely not. Most countries fall into one of two systems. They fall into a theocratic one, similar to most Irish primary schools and most of the Middle East, where one religion is taught as fact and truth. Another set of countries, like the US and France, have a completely secular uh, system where no religion is tolerated or taught. And that's also not such a good thing, in my opinion. And then there's third, sorry, I said there was two, there's actually three. Many European countries have a minority of schools that are run by religious organisations, which creates problems, for example, um, the escape of the middle classes to Catholic schools in the UK. However, Ireland is apparently unique, and I think it's unique, I haven't found a system like this anywhere in the world, where we have a model that is either neither religious or secular. It's a school that embraces all, and even with the various caveats, it really works. I think it might be exploring this. Um, I mean, I think it might be worth exploring this in a different episode as I've gone off track again. But I think it's important to say it. In Ireland, we actually do get it right in, the minor, in, in about 4% of the schools. But, you know, that's good too. And 
you know, the fact that I'm going off track again, I think the Finns would be disgusted me, uh, at me at this episode. I've actually, I mean, they would have finished this in, um, gosh, they would have finished this in 10 minutes. I'm already going to two episodes of the podcast. <laughs> anyway, Finn, to me, doesn't really get it right when it comes to diversity of religion. People will say this is because diversity is a relatively modern thing in Finland, but we say that in Ireland. And do you know what? In neither case, it's true. Let's move on to the second part of diversity that I said I'd talk about, and that's the diversity of language. And this is where Finland, I believe, offers us an ethical dilemma. And before we start patting ourselves on the back, we're no great shakes in Ireland, to be fair. In fact, we're far from being great shakes, even ethically. The Department of Education in Ireland's first ethical dilemma is that we consider EAL, English as an additional language, as a special need. That is a huge ethical dilemma. They didn't always, in Ireland, consider EAL as a special need. But around 2009, if you had children enrolled in your schools and they needed language support, this was to be taken from the general special education allocation known as GAM in the day, general allocation model, back in the day. And in 2017, when they invented the even worse set allocation model, in general, EAL is to be used in this bracket. If a school has a high percentage of children with English as an additional language, schools can appeal for an English uh, for an EAL teacher, but it's impossible to understand how they allocate this. I can just go on my example of my school. In my case, when I first applied, when I had 12 pupils with EAL, I got one EAL teacher. Today, I have over 120 pupils and I still only have one EAL teacher, but I am far from alone in this. All that aside, a child with EAL is simply dumped into a regular classroom and has to hope there is enough EAL support to help them learn enough English to get by. A child that comes to Ireland any time before sixth class will also have to learn the Irish language without any extra support. If they arrive in sixth class, they do qualify for an exemption, but not before that. Essentially, Ireland's crime is much like all of their crimes when it comes to supporting children that need extra support. They simply don't provide anywhere near enough of it. And then they wonder why we have so many problems later in life. However, to me, that all pales in comparison to what happens in Finland. If you don't speak Finnish when you arrive in Finland, you don't get to go to regular school. For one year, you are placed in a special school where you are placed with other non-Finnish speaking pupils and you're taught how to speak enough Finnish to get by in regular school. And once you're proficient enough in Finnish, you are welcome to join a mainstream school. In some ways, this makes complete pragmatic sense. But in other ways, it does feel more than a little off. I can't take away a picture of some sort of conversion therapy setting where they remove all of your culture from a migrant and then make it more acceptable to a Finnish kind of mindset. And I know that's not exactly what's happening, but it does kind of feed into the debate about whether assimilation is a good thing or not. Now, don't get me wrong. I 
personally, I'm a product of assimilation. You wouldn't know it uh, of my uh, family's background. My, my grandparents, for example, changed their name to a more pleasing ones to Irish ears. And over the last few generations, I have absolutely, you know, I suppose I, I am now have absolutely no trace of my Lithuanian or Polish roots, apart from how I look. And in some ways, it's it's a little sad that I can't communicate with some of the pupils in my school in my heritage tongue. However, I can't say I'm harmed in any way by it, but I don't know if that can be said for all migrants. It's a subject I'm not really an expert in, or in fact, I'm not at all an expert in, despite being a product of it, but it's certainly worth mentioning. Some people will say the idea of a special school for migrants is a great idea, and others will be appalled by it. To me, I mean, it seems a little bit distasteful. There are, another, um, there are other interesting aspects of the Finnish education system that might play into them being the best in the world, or maybe they just do things in interesting ways. For example, in Finland, every child gets a free school lunch, and it's compulsory for children to eat a school lunch. You couldn't bring in your own food. Um, and while I was there, you know, they have a lunchroom, and the place was designed pretty much like Ikea, you know, to, I suppose, if, if I'm to kind of compare it to anything. Children queued up with their tray, took what they wanted to eat, ate at their table, brought up their tray, cleared leftovers into a kind of various bins, and put the tray on a shelf to be cleaned. Every child ate the lunches, and some of it, in fairness, I struggled to eat when I was a child, certainly, but there was no silliness. Children ate their lunch, Teachers ate with the pupils, but they didn't even need to be there. There was a kind of gentle murmur in the hall, and everyone, everything just worked. Younger children in special classes had a special room they could use if they needed it, but in general, everybody ate together. It was really a sight to behold. The floor was spotless, and not a single piece of food was thrown across the room. A sample, just to let you know what the sample of food was that was on offer, spinach pancakes, and salmon in a creamy pasta sauce. I asked kind of what happens with dietary requirements, and to be fair, they catered for all of that. I asked what happened if a child wouldn't eat the food, and the principal stared at me blankly. They eat the food, he said. Finland, it's an interesting country. Their focus on outdoor education is brilliant, even if their teaching methodologies didn't blow me away. They have a great ethos of ensuring that every child has the opportunity to meet a certain minimum standard, and they do everything to help them reach that. They offer amazing wraparound services and supports to ensure that teachers can do what they're good at, and that's teaching. There is very little time wasted on things that aren't linked to teaching. Yes, there are some issues in terms of religious hangovers and what to do with migrants, but they are a thoughtful people, and I'm sure they're going to figure that out. However, the thing that hit me most was, so, was how similar Finland is to Ireland in terms of population, types of schools, and the general worldview of their people, that liberal conservatism. Yes, we generally talk a lot more in Ireland than the Finns do, but however we get there in words, we tend to have similar attitudes. The, bigger, the, biggest, the big difference between our countries is how thoughtful they are about everything. If there is a problem, the Finns will find a solution that will suit most people and go with it. In Ireland, I think our difference is that 
if there is a problem, we'll try and solve it by trying to please everyone and ultimately fail to please anyone. When it comes to special education, Finland follows the child, we create layers and layers of bureaucracy and complex algorithm which end up causing more harm than good. Overall, I'm glad I went to try and discover the Finnish miracle. I was surprised by what I found because all I ever knew was from the articles comparing their system to the US system, so it really was a surprise to find out how similar our education systems are. The Finns certainly didn't blow me away with their teaching, but they blew me away with their supports, and I think that's ultimately what made the difference. It was somewhat gratifying to me that despite all the criticism of teachers in the media here and how lazy we are and so on, that I found that our teaching is definitely of a higher standard. It also gratified me as well as annoyed me that it is the supports that are the difference. Teachers in Ireland have been drip-fed so many initiatives that have nothing to do with education that it is suffocating their ability to ensure that all children are able to learn. Children that need support aren't getting it and I now wonder what life would be like if they did. For this to happen we need systematic changes in terms of patronage and the concept of choice because most of these things make things really difficult. In fact, I'd argue impossible. So my main takeaway teaching moment from my trip to Finland was that if I were the Minister for Education, I would be providing schools and their pupils with the supports that they need when they need them and let teachers do what teachers do best. And if I was able to do that, I think we'd have a good chance of being the best education system in the world. Kitos, as the Finns might say. <laughs>